Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome again to another episode of Pleasant Evenings Book Club. We're here, uh, a little change of pace today. We're doing some creative nonfiction. We're doing the his- the, uh, the landmark journalism piece by Nellie Bly, uh, 10 Days in a Madhouse. It- we're going to do this one in two episodes, so we're covering for the first half just uh, her journey getting into the madhouse, and join us next week while we talk about the the, the juicy madhouse uh, details. Uh, this is Roberto, um, joined here today by Corbin. Hi, thanks for joining us again. And Hannah. <laughs> hey there. Alright, how's that for an intro? Are we good? <laughs> yeah, I think so. What was it like, like making this uh, change of pace? Did it feel like a, like a big departure from what we'd read before? Yeah, I'd say like, um, so I, I I think like the, the core elements of like the narrative are still there. And like, you can definitely like, um, you, you know, the prose doesn't feel so different. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not written like a, like a New York times article in any respect. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I, in that sense, it's, it's, I don't think it feels all that different. I, there is a more matter of factness to it, of course, you know, it being journalism, but I, I would say that's like the biggest departure so far that, and it maybe like offers a little less, um, a little less space for like, um, you know, like artful interpretation and more like, um, you know, like factual interpretation, I guess, if that makes sense. Right, yeah, it was. It was um, definitely like uh, it really felt like just like a person kind of like relating their experience. Um, I think it's interesting that you bring up the comparison to like a like a modern, like New York Times article, right, or whatever expose embedded journalism piece. Um, like as a kind of because now like certainly creative nonfiction has matured into its own sort of genre with its own uh tropes like i feel like i've read like a million like uh like people trying to be david foster wallace like doing some kind of thing where like i spent a day with uh uh james cameron or whatever and it it always is it's always like these like um it always starts in like this languid way of like like entering into some alien place he held some fruit I've never seen before, and he said, "This is delicious. Have we tried this?" <laughs> I, I think a lot of these right. modern expose pieces seem to be probably more inspired by the Gunzo style of journalism. Yeah, that might have been the start of it. At least that's his own distinct thing. This feels pretty proto Gunzo, though. I think Nellie Bly was also the first stunt girl in, in journalism. Or, or in, in news reporting, stunt girl. Yeah, like for for a while there was <laughs> there was a a genre or whatever a story for for stunt girls in journalism too. You know, just like not in movies. But <laughs> I mean, she says certainly seems daring. Like, good lord, right? I I I feel like in the first chapter, I noticed her wavering a bit in her description of herself in terms of her like own ability to accomplish her task. You know what I mean? I see this quote in the doc that said, I had some faith in my own ability as an actress, but I feel like there's one later on where she like says, I, I, I have no faith in my ability as an actor. You know what I mean? Did, did I imagine that or? Well, no, no. I, I feel like, uh, like, I think that's how, um, like she keeps it like literary in that way where she just like creates these moments of tension of like, right. I wasn't sure if they were going to find me out. If, if those clever journalists get a hand, on, get their hands on me. I don't know a lot about that time, but gosh, there were a lot of journalists like intervening in like random <laughs> medical cases. Do you know what I mean? Like somebody might be insane and has done no harm to anyone. Like I uh, better send a dozen reporters, like I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it adds to the it adds to the to the tension. It certainly does. No, I was gonna say it just I was just thinking about how much harder it makes it to do what she does. I when when you um when you read it, she says something to the effect of like, um, yeah, I was lucky none of them recognized me. And, and for a moment, you think of it in like a uh, like a like a Chekhov's gun or something. Well, yeah. Or like going from a fiction to nonfiction um, sort of, you know, um, 
perspective it's in my head i was like well of course it's easy to just write that but then you stop and think like <laughs> oh no i guess that actually happened like she actually somehow didn't encounter a single other journalist who recognized her and was yeah. presumably a smaller <laughs> pool of journalists back then you know yeah so. and i i don't mean this as just like a pun but like the fiction to nonfiction. also she's like embedded in this idea of like okay i'm nelly brown now nelly moreno i guess <laughs> i guess later but i'm nelly brown now like you're trying to like stay in character and then suddenly someone you know sees you like nelly like that (laughs) like suddenly you like take a look at yourself i wonder why she chose to go with the same first name i guess just to be easier on herself you know uh, the initials in her clothing tags um they they chose that name for her for it to be consistent with the clothing when they would take it i must have glossed over that when i was reading yeah, there was a bit on that, on, yeah, like, part of the plan. But it's crazy how much, like, the mechanics, like, chapter one is weirdly, is weirdly short, but, like, the two things that stick out to me in the beginning is that the story is assigned to her, but she still makes all of the plans. And, like, she asks, like, how will you get me out? And the editor just, like, just goes, I don't know, I don't know, but we'll get you out. What a scary yeah, proposition right. to have made to you. you. Imagine being like a worker in like 18 whatever and then also having been a woman. Like, oh my god, of course. You just, you figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that does feel, that's a pattern, isn't it? Just in, in society right. or whatever. He, yeah, yeah. No. I might see it come back around too in society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, so like, I guess... um. Yeah, let's go over this crazy story. Apparently, I, I saw on, on Wikipedia, so grain of grain of salt there. Apparently, she did, like, alert, like, the governor's office or something that she was going to be fuck? doing this. Interesting that she didn't say that. Yeah, I mean, it helps for the, uh, for the tension. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, in a way, like, I kind of already felt like she was pretty protected. Like, having the news agency to, like, say, hey, this lady isn't crazy. We totally just, like, pulled one over on you. Yeah. Uh, You know, it seems like they'd have to let her out. You know what I mean? Especially if they broke the story, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, news agency versus a insane asylum hospital, that that could be... If the governor had not known that, that could very well be a... uh, hop on an issue to let her out or not that's fair especially the doctors were like oh well well, we we actually do find her to be quite ill so we're 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 gonna keep her yeah if we didn't know how it ended because it's real life like if this was pure fiction there's a chance that like the story is like oh actually she was set up the whole time i read that would be a that'd be quite a psychological thriller (laughs) that's what one of the cuckoo's nest kind of is right like yeah yeah he like pretends to be insane and they're like oh actually what a coincidence because he actually is insane yeah yeah right i better never go near like an 1800s a sane asylum because it'll like draw me into the tractor beam oh yeah like they could just decide right so yeah let's uh let's go into the go through her story so this story is like this idea is uh, dropped on her desk and she decides that she's got the acting chops to do it so she, like, plans out what she's gonna do, which is she's gonna, um, like, just show up at, like, a, at a woman's shelter and try to convince people there that she's crazy for them to, uh, then refer her, like, ref- take her to, like, the medical professionals. It ends up being a little bit more circuitous of a path, but it, and you know, it, obviously it worked out for her. I guess, like, to make it more believable, they have, like, a bit, like, she writes a bit about, um, preparing in her room. She's trying to imagine, like, what crazy people... Sorry, I'm, I'm using, like, these terms... I guess it's a, an old book that you just use the terms. Is a, is crazy an okay word for the for this podcast? Should we be saying the... I don't know what you should say here, to be honest with you. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to say that on there. I just realized. Like, we're, like, this is written in very 1880s language. Yeah, it's... I, 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 I think maybe, like... You know, on the record, prefacing this with that is probably the actual right thing to do, maybe. And that way, anything you talk about is like covered by the, you know, the blanket of like, hey, we, we've, we've disclaimer. Yeah. Okay. So a disclaimer here. 
we're going to try to talk about mental health using the, you know, according to the best understanding of mental health that during a time when even the mental health professionals didn't seem to know much. So we're going to do our best to just stick to the words that they use as they use them. And yeah. Please, for the love of God, don't cancel us. That's not (laughs) an expression of our own views. We're, we're just going to try to be as, uh, as, as sensitive uh, yeah, as we can as to the... As professional as possible. Yeah. Yeah, in terms oh. of... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll use the words as they appear in the, in the book. And then uh, please don't cancel us because we're just being <laughs> literary accurate. We, we don't... You know, we're not, we're not ableist. Yeah. And so to some degree, I think like... So her word when she's preparing seems to be crazy. She uses that word a lot. And she to does. some degree, that kind of reflects like... Her understanding of what you know whatever mental health is because like what she has to go off of is just that they say they say that you know crazy people have staring eyes so she just like practices in front of the mirror like opening her eyes really wide like i guess it, it so it's so that's an interesting thing where it in order to get into this place, she just sort of like af- like takes the affect of like a stereotypical a stereotypical crazy person, and just tries to feel out the vibe of like what people expect to see, which works out for her. It certainly does. Yeah, almost a little too well. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like as as it goes, it seems to get easier and easier too. Yeah, like it's kind of like a dominoes thing, like or like a there's like a tipping effect in terms of how crazy people think you are, and it's like the more people say they think you might be crazy, the crazier you just become by default. Like, really shows how socially founded it must have been back then, or socially based. Like, like just, socially based. Well, just, just just being being considered an outcast back then might have been enough yeah. to uh, get you cast into there. Yeah. So it's telling that, like, in terms of, like, on that outcast thing, so her plan is to go to a, to a boarding home for women, the temporary home for females, number 84. But she uh, she goes out to the temporary women's home to... Be just the weirdest one there. <laughs> yeah. To try to scare <laughs> everyone with her vibes. Which, conceptually, like, what is a woman's boarding house? Is that like, are they homeless? Is it like a charity? Wasn't there a woman that was just there to shop? Like, I'm just so confused. It seems like it was for people that freshly moved or freshly got employed. Didn't quite have the resources to, I don't know, lease an apartment, but definitely longer than wanting to book a hotel. Yeah. It's like a a woman's shelter. Like we, we still have, we still have that, but I guess it's not as, um, uh, not as visible now. Right, but those are for more like those are more like uh, char- charity organizations. They they they're more for like the poor, or the sort of battered. I, I mean, right? Like the, they don't generally take like women who are in town to shop or just moved and are about to get a job. Right? Like right up to like the mid twentieth century. Also, like up until World War Two, you know, a little a little past that too. It was also like career like job opportunities was very difficult. So if you were a single woman. Like, who didn't have a family to stay with. Like, you couldn't be staying with a man, and, and you couldn't, like, really stay at a hotel. Like, boarding houses for, for women or apartments, like, just for women were, like, pretty common to see. And, oh. yeah, when there's less money for women to make, too. When it was really only options. Like, if you can't be a groundbreaking journalist is mostly, like, you know, house duties. Right. Huh. Mm. Oh. Sad. I guess yeah. that's, what it'll be, that's what it'll be in, like, five years in America. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Doomer shit. Yeah, I feel like, like, every episode we need to either have, a, like, a Doomer moment or a From Software moment. And I'm guessing we're going to get more of that this time. The Doomer stuff, I mean. Yeah, yeah, Doomer's pretty easy. I don't know how we're going to work From Software into this. At least this episode. I this. I, we'll see what the future holds. Like inside the asylum, maybe we'll, we'll get a little, we'll get a little from soft. But yeah, there's potential there. It could happen. Um, but yeah, this boarding house, like it, however much charity it is, like everyone there except for one person is is working class or like at least like working like urban working class. Which is, but they still charge. Uh, was it thirty cents a night? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
which in those days I think would have been like nine dollars. Holy shit! I was gonna say because the cost of her shitty beef dinner is the same as it was like also cost thirty of her... cents. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like, if every meal was nine dollars, that's kind of a good deal to be honest with you. I mean, if you're if you're renting an uh, you know a, a house for a night or like a room for the same price, yeah, that'd as your be good. Fast food dinner. Like I don't. That's super. That's chill. I just want to be cheaper than my bed at least. Because I mean, you can still get a you can still get a shitty beef dinner for nine dollars, but I, I'll tell you what, you cannot you cannot <laughs> get a hotel room. That's true. Yeah, no, like living is definitely like right. gone through some inflation, like some more inflation. Um, but speaking of, so like any details on the temporary home, like the yeah, so like the food is something that comes up a lot, even afterwards, is how bad it is. Like, it's just slammed on a tray onto an unvarnished, plain, wooden tables. Yeah, there's yet to be, like, an appetizing description of food in this book, I should mention. It seems to be actually going downhill progressively. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to skip ahead. When she talk- when she mentions beef tea... Yeah, what is beef tea? I meant to, like, look <laughs> that up, and I kind of got a little sick thinking about it. And didn't. So I'm going to look it up now, though. Because. I can only think it's just like broth, like just straight broth to drink. Oh, to drink. Phenomenal. I, I, I guess, um, I guess, you know what? I can't lie. I've got the, I got the, what is it? The, the shin ramen. I, I know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. If you took out the ramen, like if you took out the, the noodles and just, just, just had that. Just, just drink the broth. Well, see, by the time I eat all the noodles, there's a fair amount of broth left, and you best believe I, I slam that shit mm. like a, mm. like a Baja blast. <laughs> you got it, <laughs> right? Pour it into a cup to to really appreciate it. Oh yeah, over ice. Forget about it. <laughs> you can make a bloody mary that, arguably, like there, someone has made a a Asian ramen bloody mary. Is that the that's the brand? Pronouncing that. I don't want to. I probably mispronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Oh, life hack. The, the life spicy hack? ones. You know what I'm talking about. What? Here's what you got to do. You got to take that broth. You pour uh-huh. it. You pour it into your ice cube tray, and then oh. you put it up for the freezer. You got some tasty. You know, make your water tasty or your soda. <laughs> you suck right, it. You know, right. it gets hot in the summer. Right, right. I, anytime I have guests over, I say, "Do you want water with ice?" And then I get them that, and slowly, slowly, <laughs> the, the the water turns brown. <laughs> yeah, just like a nice pale brown. Yeah, I, I put the see, I put the beef ice cube in the middle, right, and then it melts the slowest, you know, because it's surrounded by the others, and it's also the least visible to the naked eye, right. That way, about twenty minutes into our visit, um. They go to take a sip of water and they're drinking gravy. <laughs> and what's nice about there, it's also like you have to be, have it outside because if you, anyone sees it, you know they're going to go for it first. Yeah, right. This is gold. Make sure you don't edit this out, by the way. This is this is like <laughs> primo content. Yeah, now we're like this really like, helping keep people. This, yeah, keep this in for sure. This is like literary analysis at its peak. There's going to be our most... <laughs> We're through an hour into our recording, and we're two chapters into this. Yeah, oh. right. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta step it up. Okay. I, I think well, the thing is, this this whole story is pretty bare bones, so it feels like we gotta like add some meat just to every little thing. Oh yeah, we're adding but, meat in delicious oh, yeah. ice cube. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, like get your get your meat water today, folks. <laughs> yeah. So like her her. Analysis, analysis of the of the place, she says, I've often moralized in the repulsive form charity always assumes. Here was a home for deserving women, and yet what a mockery the name was. Yeah, it seemed like a like a very bare bones kind of situation, obviously the food. She goes into like some of the people that are that are living there, um, living in what she called enforced idleness. Like they didn't really have anything to do. There was one who was just there with her awful child. There was one that would um, go to sleep and snore and wake herself up. There's a couple knitting and most of them just kind of sat around there. Um, like, who is it? The, so we got the, uh, the matron is sick. So it's her assistant that's there. And she's the one who she convinces is sick, right? She starts saying, like, she's, these people are just sitting around doing nothing. She decides, she's, she tells them, she tells her, oh, they all look crazy and I'm afraid of them. 
That's a really good line. I, I like the way that she says that everybody else looks crazy because this. Just... Yeah, <laughs> she puts the idea of insanity into their heads, but like immediately, yeah. It's clever because obviously not everyone is crazy, but you know the idea of insanity is raised and then focused on her specifically because the thing she's saying is like absurd. Like you couldn't have everybody be insane, so. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that's that's just pretty clever. Like that's um that's good knowledge. Right. For for an actor too, you don't say the thing directly. You try to reveal it. Classic projection. Yeah, like like she raises the the specter of it. You know what I mean? Like like what if there was an insane person here? <laughs> um. So she scares away that person. The only person that's helpful is this lovely woman called Mrs. Kane. She does manage to scare everyone except Mrs. Kane, who who looks on her with pity. So her her, her tactics are to pretend to be really afraid of of everyone and to refuse to sleep and to insist that her trunks are missing i just want my trunks (laughs) i just want my trunks sorry (laughs) go ahead that's what she says oh my god what do you think of that when she's just sitting around when she's just like trying to keep herself awake one, because she knows that if she slept soundly, she would look too sane. She knew she would sleep in the manner of a mentally sound person. And, and like, what does she do with that? Like, she she takes the time to go over her entire life and think about her future. What was it? The best night, she said? The best so, yeah, night the best life. night of her life. <laughs> Well, that's what I mean. I, to be honest, I think she uses it to fully get in character. In that moment, she goes the little extra amount of insane that she needs, I think, to finish the job. You know what I mean? Like, she really, like, gets in character in that moment. Everything else was just practice. Yeah. Yeah, she's kind of, like, avoiding things. Yeah, and after that, like, because she doesn't come up with the trunks idea until later, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, that's another really good one, because she... Well, she doesn't, like, verbalize that she's come up with that. She just starts doing it in the story, which is interesting, too. It just makes it seem even more like a stroke of genius that she, like, found that that narrative and then stuck to it, you know? Yeah. And she does that, too, later when she when she tells the judge that she's Cuban. Or, like, the... <laughs> I was... Yeah, right. I, um, I couldn't, I couldn't like, establish a feel for how much that was bullshit and wasn't. I, I guess it must have all been bullshit, because what, what motive does she have to tell the truth at this point, so. But I know nothing about, I know nothing about Nellie Bly. I was like, oh, she could be Cuban, like. I think she's, like, from Pennsylvania or something. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah, Wikipedia says Pennsylvania. Oh, shit, where at? Uh, Cochran Mills in Armstrong County. I don't know where that is. <laughs> it's part of the Pittsburgh metropolitan area. Oh, okay, so it's outside, it's outside of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh then. Yeah, the trunks thing, again, I don't know if it's like part of her genius or just like a nice coincidence, but then the trunks thing becomes the lie that they think they're telling her to get her out of the place. Oh, we'll find your trunks. Come along. Go, go with this nice police officer. In, in right yeah like the way that they just keep stringing her along with diversions <laughs> yeah so she goes to the police to the police station they do some more of that like uh narrative tension where where she mentions that she actually had had a conversation with a certain police officer that was there so if he saw her and recognized her the game would be up and if these clever journalists who are at the police station all the time, they would figure out the truth immediately because they're so smart. I think part of the... Uh, she takes advantage of taking her time getting to the getting to the asylum. It, give, it lets her, like, uh, do a sort of a tour of just how, you know, outsiders are kind of uh, processed or taken care of. Like, she mentions over and over again how pretty much she was lucky to be around individuals who happen to be nice because the people at that other place were all mean to her except for mrs kane um there's this bit in the police station where she says oh uh, sorry i looked around at the strange crowd about me composed of poorly dressed men and women with stories printed on their faces of hard lives abuse and poverty everywhere's a sprinkling of well-dressed well-fed officers watching the scene passively and almost indifferently like she, she talks about how it just they see so much of it it's normal to them 
Um, she talks to uh, to a police officer who like asks her some questions before um, sending her along to to our venerable judge, dead sister Duffy, um, who he takes a he he takes a interest in her because of how much she resembles his his sister. His his words are, what does he say? <laughs> There's like a lot of not to be like. There's a lot of like good-hearted, nice guys in this. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's like three times I think she says like, "I will never forget the kindness of so and so," and this uh, this guy is of course our second mm-hmm. instance of that. Um, um, maybe she maybe it's she wanted to put the focus more on the institutions. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I kind of sense that there. It's it seemed a little bit like a. A little bit like like image rehabbing for like uh, certain <laughs> like certain types. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. We'll see how she covers the institutions in the later chapters. I, obviously, she starts off pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Yeah, and I guess like also like she started going. Th- she started. She went into. Um, like a situation where meanness w- is just part of the environment, and then people who are nice are like the bits of contrast. Right. There's like a little bit of, of happy place. I guess judge Duffy is pretty nice. I love the way they phrase it. I'm sorry. That's a harp on the dead sister, but it's so funny. Poor girl. I'll be good to her for. She looks like my sister who is dead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I see. This is what I mean about her writing a little bit. Like I, I, I'm sure that isn't exactly how he said that, but some of the way that you, because she's a journalist, it's so matter of fact, sometimes like, yeah, like she want to get the information out, but it's like a, a right. genre of journalism, I guess. Where like I don't think you don't see those quotes, like conversations in quotes that often. Right, right, right. I guess nowadays, if someone's doing that, like they just it's you know they they usually there's an implication that they were recorded and like these are their words. Right, right. The, the Q and A format. Yeah, or just straight up Q and A. Yeah, so, like, the and Judge Duffy, like, so, like, I, I think, like, uh, uh, Miss Kane goes along, Mrs. Kane goes along with them, and she explains that, you know, she's having a hard time, they don't know where she's, where she's from, so, I think, like, once you have one person vouching for her insanity, like, things get lubricated, and I, it, then it's interesting how everyone brings their own baggage i guess like if one to go into subtext you know it could just be how it happened but judge you know judge duffy sees her and sees his, his dead sister and then he just like he brings up um like he just asks her like is like is your home like if you're if she's from cuba and she rolls with it and she goes see si, senor <laughs> right I, I guess i didn't like um when i initially read that i didn't like sort of like follow her brilliance in that Again, because I didn't, like, know, again, that she was from Pennsylvania. I was like, oh, maybe she is. Like, I, you know, I don't know anything about this person. But when you put it, like, knowing that now, it's like, yeah, yeah, her ability to just kind of roll with the punches. <laughs> Though, it, it, it to me, it's like a more convincing insane, you know, bit that, that they can't seem to get a straight answer out of her no matter what the subject is, To You know what yeah. I mean? Like, right. Yeah, part of what she does isn't just make up stuff but to like purposefully misunderstand or like say the truth in the most like like weird way, like yeah right which i guess like helps her come off stranger because she's not giving answers like the way a normal person would and also she doesn't have to commit to any lie except for cuba like it's so weird that she's like she, she heard cuba and was like yes that's a that's right. so good yeah she seized on that one she would like, omit a shit ton, though. Like, oh, we're in Cuba. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> on the hacienda. <laughs> on the hacienda. <laughs> yeah, that, that was funny. And they just go with it, like it. Yeah, it's like she plays like a stereotypical like crazy person, you know. <laughs> and then she's just like, yeah. What do people know about Cubans? They have haciendas. <laughs> right. Right. I looked it up. This would have been like if if I was a true um, professional, I would have done some research on Cuba and the American imagination. I did mm-hmm. see that the Spanish American War wasn't till eighteen ninety seven or something, eighteen ninety eight. Uh huh. So this was before that. I'm guessing the United States had their eye on Cuba for a while. 
Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Probably is right there. Yeah. yeah, that's right, that's true. You know, say what you will about Fidel. You gotta hand it to him with the United States right there, how how he's how how Cuba's managed to be such a like thorn in their side. Bro, I love Cuba. Full support for Cuba. We love communism. <laughs> Ten thousand yeah. years of communism. One hundred, one hundred episodes communism. Right, exactly. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the vibe. No Rick and Morty quotes on the on the podcast. <laughs> we did. We no, did, no Rick and Morty quotes. You know, it's funny. I will. Okay, maybe we'll cut it out. Maybe this is the most crazy thing. I will still go to bad for Rick and Morty. It's not the show. I go to bad for the first season. I go to bad for the first season, maybe. I, I'll even say the first two or three seasons, but beyond that, eh. Rick is just a little bit too, um, a little bit too cool, f- uh, for a certain young, you know, type of media consumer. Even though it's all about how he's bad, it's like, oh, but he can do anything. Yeah, that's um, that's the problem. And it just like attracts I- a certain kind of Elon Musk person. Oh, thank you. I, that's exactly where I was going with this. I, oh my god, I was about to make approximately that joke. I can't believe you just said it a second before I did. <laughs> but that can only mean if it's it's true, if we were both thinking it. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, Elon Musk roasted again. Okay, well, in case in case you're just jumping in, if you, in case this is everyone's first episode, or... We, we do hate Elon Musk. Yeah, this is a, str- this is a strong anti-Elon Musk podcast it's a no musk zone as it were <laughs> okay but like uh okay sorry uh, so i'm gonna just jump right back into the story i'm, I'm glad we we hit that uh, jumping back into the story yeah. the other assumption that he makes or like the other like projection that the judge makes besides that she's from cuba and that she looks like his sister is that he's like i know what happened they drugged her and that's why she's all confused. So we'll take her to the doctor. They call a doctor to come look at her. And he says to her, here's a poor girl who has been drugged. She looks like my sister. <laughs> I, I, I thought it would be funny if the doctor maybe said something back. Like, well, I, I can't I can't say whether or not she's been drugged, <laughs> but she does look like your sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be damned. <laughs> a spitting image of Loretta. Right, right, right. <laughs> Clearly, he wanted to talk about his dead sister. No one was like, he was dropping hints. <laughs> he was all about that. He's all about that. <laughs> she must have just died or something. Like, uh, it's In crazy Cuba. that she's come up. In Cuba, yeah, right. <laughs> but he, hey, are you, are you by chance my dead Cuban sister? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was really hoping he, she would, like, give something away. The Hacienda right. with the well in the front, with the red door? Si, senor. Loretta, is that right, you? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, this rude doctor does not want to talk about his sister. He just goes into, just examines her. There's a, there's a moment where, where she, where he, like, listens to her pulse and she, she says, like, she has no idea what the heart of an insane person, how the heart of an insane person beats. So she holds her breath. It's the Windows startup sound. <laughs> There's a faint sound of the ocean breeze over Havana. <laughs> and the other part, and he looks at her eyes, and her eyes are dilated. And right. so the doctor, I guess, the thought came in, I guess, from before from the judge. But with that, he was like, what drugs have you been taking? And she's like, drugs? I do not know what drugs are. Same, dude. What are drugs? What are drugs, dude? Who knows? That's the most I'm on drugs response you could possibly. Yo, is she wearing a dare shirt when she said this? <laughs> I don't do drugs. Drugs do yeah. me. Damn. <laughs> yeah, who's really getting used up? But the doctor doesn't believe her that she doesn't know what drugs are. Uh, the doctor explains to everyone else in the room. Uh, I believe she's been using Belladonna. The most obscure ass drug. Yeah, I looked it up. Apparently, it's a delirium. Yeah, it, yeah. In the I don't have to look it up to tell you that. I did look. I well, the one thing I did find when his the historical use of of it has been as eye drops that 
that women would use to dilate their pupils for aesthetic purposes. That's super funny. Yeah, atropine, scopolamine, th- those are like, those are really bad drugs. <laughs> you should not be doing those. Damn, why would he jump to, why did, why would he jump to that? Like, how often is he seeing? So that was like associated with like, um, you know, like medieval witchcraft, essentially. Like, like most Illyrians were like a mandrake. Um, yeah. Belladonna. Yeah. So it's because she's a woman that she's like, well, she's, she must be doing one of those women drugs. Okay, so yeah, so they they put her in the ambulance, they take her to the, they take her to a hospital, or they take her to the insane ward of the hospital, in Bellevue Hospital, uh, that, like, she gets to the hospital, at first they ask some questions, and, and the doctor just goes in and says, it was useless to ask her any questions, he had all the papers, so it, it goes a little, a little smoother. Okay, yeah, so now she's at the hospital at the insane ward, and she's seeing the different people, um, this is, like, I think, like, the turn where, like, kindness is much more fleeting. Like, she's not being cared for anymore, but treated. Like, when she's taken out of the ambulance to be in the hospital, like, uh, she says that it was a rough-looking man who grabbed her and tried to drag her out. And she says, as if I had the strength of an elephant and would resist. I just want to put this, uh, I want to put this, emphasize this little bit. I guess, like, any, like, major descriptions of the settings, I think, are are interesting. That's, like, what I was hoping to to kind of see. Um, she describes the, uh, the hospital, the long, uncarpeted hall, scrubbed to that peculiar whiteness seen only in public institutions. In the rear of the hall were large iron doors, fastened by a padlock. So, like, she crossed, like, a point where... Like now she's in for the ride. Like the this is like the point in the this to me this felt like the point in the like in the uh, roller coaster where you like put that thing over your lap. Well, th- this is this is where it becomes real for her, especially with that rough handling looking man. Like that's that's for sharing mm. if I've ever seen it before. I think yeah, like well, that's a, like <laughs> like going from Judge Duffy to to that. All right. Maybe he was like, oh, he looks like Judge Duffy's dead sister. I hated her. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so she gets to, she gets to... The, the doctor's, like, a little bit, like, tries to, like, ease her tension because she starts to hear, she hears um, people screaming or something. And the doctor's like, oh, what a noise the carpenters make. And then he, like, leaves her alone. Like, he really thinks, uh, he really thinks she's insane and, like, he wants to, wants to leave now. And now that she's there, she sees some other people. There's, a, a an Irish nurse... Uh, Miss Ball, and then there's three patients. Um, the first one uh, is her name is Anne Neville. She seems she was a chambermaid who seemed to like get sick. Like it said, like she fell ill from exhaustion. And then she and talking to Nellie, she says like there's nothing wrong with my brain. I'm actually fine, but the doctors won't listen to me. She talks to Mrs. Fox who doesn't really say much, just says that it, that her case is hopeless and, like, doesn't want to talk. And she talks to someone who doesn't even give her her name. And Nellie Bly says of her, and I don't know if this is not PC, she says she's silly mentally. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, probably not, but again, like, we, we, we've disclaimed it. I guess she's, so that's her way of, I guess, being, um, like, kind of neutral about it. This one, like, this person did seem uh, difficult to connect with, but it could be anything. Here, like it, it does feel just more miserable in general. Even the the nice nurse, it is there, like like trying to ask for her like spare change because she's like they're gonna take it away from you anyways. And she's like the nice one, like she only has nice things to say about about Miss uh, Miss Ball. Yeah, I was a little confused why they like introduced her and like gave her a lot of credit as being nice just to have her like not interact with her at all in the narrative, right? Like, did I miss it or did she like have a scene that I kind of like glossed over where she said something real cool or something? Because other than, 
other than asking for pennies at the beginning and the end, it seemed like I never heard a word about her other than she was Irish. Did, <laughs> did she give her a shawl? She does give her, like, an extra shawl, yeah. I think. Oh, right, right, right. Was that the one what? that was covered in moths or whatever? <laughs> yeah, like a moth-eaten like, yeah, shawl. I don't think I'd want that. I don't think I'd even... Get- well, she had to shake the moths out of it, so... Oh, it's not even... It's not even Miss Ball who does it. It's Miss Scott. Right, so that's what I'm saying. It's kind of like Miss Ball doesn't exist. Like, she, she's just there to ask for pennies at the beginning of the end and be, like, the most blessed woman in the whole hospital. <laughs> I guess, I guess it, that goes to show, like, yeah, the hospital is not full of nice people if that's the nice... If that's the... Yeah, just some lady that asks for pennies. Oh, my God. Right, yeah. <laughs> the nicest thing you could do sometimes is to just not interact. Yeah, that's true, because Miss Scott was, like... Take off your hat. If you don't take off your hat, well, you have to use force. Like, if I, I just need to touch a bell and I'll get assistance. Right. Yeah, she was definitely aggro. Yeah, it's like someone like, very, like, not no patience there. Right, right. Like, you, if you're a nurse, like, at, the, at those places, like, you don't know who you're getting. Because I'm sure occasionally, like, people who were, you know, by anyone's metric you know occasionally you would get like i'm sure you still you'd still get like unpredictable people that's fair that's fair undoubtedly so you have to like have a sort of like like your ways of like of plying people right well i guess the unfortunate thing is this is this is a job to her yeah so just go straight to like i know this works every time what i just need to get through it like nurses today like right they like their shifts are like you know, 12, 14 hour shifts. Like, I don't know how it might have been before. Oh, it might have been more. It's a, yeah, it's a touchy subject. The point is that Miss Scott was rude and kind of aggro. Yeah, so they bring her the food, a small tin plate with a piece of boiled meat and a potato. It could not have been colder had it been cooked the week before. Um, she couldn't eat it, so they give her a glass of milk and a soda cracker. So I guess I, I guess they're, they're being a little bit accommodating. I'll say here's where I've been I've been hold I've been I've had this in the holster for for a minute, but the quality of food back then, like if you were in the city, the United States, like by this point, Europe had already begun pasteurizing milk, but it was a little bit too expensive to boil the milk to get it pasteurized. Well, so what they would do is like looking for like different ways to uh, preserve milk. The scientists have discovered that you could put a little bit of formaldehyde in the milk to make it last oh longer. Oh my! And apparently, it's like if you do only a little bit, it's fine. But they put a lot of formaldehyde, so formaldehyde poisoning was very common back then from milk and 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 meat. Good grief. <laughs> and that wasn't the only thing that could happen to your milk like just talking on milk there's there was a case like i was reading about in the Smith- smithsonian magazine there was a some scientists like took a sample of milk from some like some random like milk sample and there were they there were so many bacteria they stopped counting um there were reports of milk that was people didn't want to drink that they would try to report because the people had found it was moving because oh a dairyman had like had um cut the milk with with like pond water or something that had worms in it oh my god uh, <laughs> and but if your milk didn't have formaldehyde or worms in it or bacteria um bro just drink water yeah, at that point, but, like, who knows, like, where the water's coming from. Like, honestly, I would just drink beer. Like, I don't even, like, when I was reading about this stuff. So, if it didn't have yeah, all of yeah. that, sometimes they would thin the milk with water and, like, skim the top, skim the cream off. I guess to try to get the most money out of it. But then, <laughs> um, so if when they did that, I guess if you, like, dilute milk too much, it ends up being, like, a, like, bluish gray. So, to make it look white again... Throw some lead in there, or chalk, or plaster. <laughs> oh my god! And they took out this, and they took out the cream. They skimmed it off. So like to get that creamy layer on top, 
They would throw in pureed calf brains. Huh. So you were just drinking lead and calf brains. <laughs> where where do you get all this? Uh, <laughs> here's a Smithsonian article. I guess I'll link it. Uh, yeah, I'll link it. It was from uh, this book called The Poison Squad. The writer of that book threw some juicy stories in. Jesus. <laughs> To your point, the Food and Drug Administration wasn't founded or, like, formed until 1906. Yeah, so it was uh, some wild times. Honestly, they ought to be. They ought to be repealed. Repeal the Food and Drug Administration. Yeah, bring bring no. this back. Yeah, got- right. <laughs> Embrace him. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Good grief. Um, <laughs> sorry, yeah, but yeah, she got crackers and milk, and, like, it was better than the potatoes and, what are the potatoes and beef? Were the crackers yeah, made gosh, out of? Yeah, what do they make potatoes out of? Jesus, right? Fucking wood chips? Good grief. Yeah, I bet there was something going on. <laughs> it was running up to be one of our longest episodes of non-book stuff. I know. Well, there wasn't too much book stuff to talk about in the grand scheme of things, but yeah, so we're, already about- <laughs> we're already on the last chapter, so... Yeah, we're closing it up. Now, the other problem isn't... It's not just the potatoes and the meat that's cold, but... Just the hospital. Like, she's given a shawl, but it's moth-eaten, and that's still not enough. Um, she tries to, like, like get warm under the blankets, and she puts the, the shawl over her face because, like, her... Her nose hurts how how cold it is, and suddenly it's jerked away because Miss Guy's like the doctor's got some questions for you. And Lottie, it's a handsome doctor. Right, he's a sexy she, like, guy. She's flirting a little bit with the doctor. The doctor hugs her. And she says like maybe it's a little weird, but ooh, he's so handsome. <laughs> this hug means a lot, a lot to her. Put his arm soothingly around my shoulders. It was a terrible task to play insane before this young man, and only a girl can sympathize with me in my position. Yeah, she really wanted to fuck him. <laughs> she was thinking about pegging him the whole time. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, don't get. I'm kidding. Only a girl can sympathize. <laughs> um, are they talking? When did you leave Cuba? I don't know if this is like flirtatious banter, or if that's what was recommended. Pretend you know where they're from. Yeah, I was really confused by that too. It just doesn't seem like doctorly. Uh, but it, but either way, it's like the nice, uh, it's the nicest interaction she gets that night. It's really like the the nice, pretty awful because like the whole time she's there, she can hear if she hears like the nurses talking. She hears them like stomping around on the uncarpeted floor. It's really cold. I've yeah no I I I could this this really brought me back like I'd been in a in a, in a place like that uh huh and yeah the night is uh like especially that first night was pretty spooky pretty spooky it's because like they really don't want you to yeah. kill yourself so none right. of the doors have locks so none of the doors Oof. for anywhere you know like not so none of the doors to your room or anyone else's rooms have locks and the first night i could hear like someone like a patient screaming for some reason didn't seem like she was in that position to actually be like oh these people scare me um but like you just like hear sounds and maybe there'll be more of that in you know in in the coming chapters right right (laughs) Um, but the other thing is, yeah, the nurses, they spend so much time there. They they just speak like, they just speak at, they don't whisper at night. They just kind of talk. Um, oh, yeah, undoubtedly. Um, yeah, like the thing about coming like every, like walking around every half hour, like they got to do their rounds. I remember like that was part of it too, was a nurse would like come in and take a look every like 30 minutes or something. That's going to make it hard to sleep, too, because you just... Yeah, it's like a little light, like, you know, like a beam of light, like, you know, creeps in every right. 30 minutes. So, yeah, she got, or I guess, like, she got a, fir- a first taste. Right, an appetizer. 
Yeah, appetizer. That's it. Um, they wake her up early in the morning to to get her out of bed. She has another conversation with a handsome doctor. They cut her nails. That was that's probably like really like getting them ready to go to to the sanitarium. They probably think you know it's probably like part of the logic of you know like let's give not give them weapons. Right, right. Can't let them hurt themselves or others. Yeah. So. They cut they cut her nails really short. The handsome young doctor makes his appearance. I'm just gonna like I guess like re- just to set the scene a little bit. I'm gonna read this little back and forth they have. Who are you? He asked. Nelly Moreno. I don't. Did she say like Moreno? Do you think like after she decided to do Cuba, like is she doing like um like a Three Amigos voice? Yeah, I would imagine. Like, I, I have a hard time imagining her not, like, leaning into it a bit. <laughs> Had she done her research, there would have been a little more, like, come pinga. So, I don't know. She says Nelly Moreno. That's what I choose to believe she says. Right. Why did you give me the name of Brown, he asked. What is wrong with you? Nothing. I do not want to come here. But you brought me. I want to go away. Won't you let me out? This is her... Her genius and her confidence. She knows she's at the point where... She can, like, she can say, let me out, and she, that's only going to make right. sure she stays in. Right, right, right. Uh, if you take, if I take you out, will you stay with me? Won't you run away from me when you get on the street? I can't promise that I will not, I answered, with a smile and a sigh, for he was handsome. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. Like, why would he ask it like that? Like, I, so why would he even, like, give her that chance? Like, oh, will you, will you be good? Like... <laughs> I wonder, maybe, I wonder if he'll come up later, you know, I'm... Yeah, handsome doctor. They met under bad circumstances, but who knows? Maybe, maybe there's, there's a Seems connection there. but yeah, yeah, who's to say? Yeah, we get a little bit more of, like, what she has to eat. She has some kind of mess for breakfast. At 10 o'clock, they're given a cup of unsalted beef tea. Some more of that cold meat and potato, oatmeal gruel cup of tea with unbuttered bread and she says it's all cold and hungry so it's like this food's so terrible and also in such small portions <laughs> we love that meat water oh yeah but she she's really missing that beef tea that's not such a revolutionary idea to have meat cubes meat water it's just like a nice way to add some add, add some nutrition to your day it's, oh, it's yeah. simplified, you know. It's it's, it's an easy, it's an easy. It's a it's a meal for a girl on the go. For <laughs> a bovine drink, hell yeah. <laughs> um, she doesn't just like sit around eating this horrible food. Apparently, like a lot of people, she says, during the day the pavilion was filled by a number of people who were curious to see the crazy girl from Cuba. I kept my head covered on the plea of being cold for fear some reporters would recognize me. And also some people came and, uh, and some people also came because they're like looking for like a missing girl. So she had to, to be there. So that, I think that adds to the weird, like the two things, like the zoo aspect of just people that wanted to see this crazy thing that happened. Right. Um, I don't know that it's so crazy that a woman just turned up insane <laughs> somewhere. I feel like that had to have happened like once or twice a week in like a big city, you know? Yeah, like maybe but. she's just trying to juice it up. Maybe when she says visit visited by a number of people, the number was two. Right, right, right. See, right I, I thought that was I thought that was the judges doing. Oh yeah, he he was like, "You've got to see this girl. She looks just like my sister." I know, she's insane. She looks just like my sister. <laughs> she's yeah, been I, drugged. <laughs> so. Look at those I, I people. Thought, I thought that's what uh, the first plan was, was to let the drugs wear it's off the in their mind. Yeah. <laughs> let that wear off and then she'll tell her story. Maybe that was it. He had, a, he had a scoop. There was this Cuban woman that looked just like the judge's sister who knew someone with Belladonna. I guess, like, the, that hospital is a little more public-facing before she goes off to the island. Right. Um, we get another bit where she talks about how good the reporters are. How, oh, if the reporters got their hands on her. Like, I wonder if that was part of, like, I wonder if, um... I think she's just talking up reporters. 
I wonder if, Pulit- if Joseph Pulitzer is like, you gotta throw, like, every three pages, you gotta say something about reporters. And how great reporters are, and how, how they'll always ferret out the truth. They don't miss a beat, those reporters. It's, yeah, maybe she's just curing her Christmas bonus. Right. I mean, if you can't trust your doctors, who are you going to trust? The the media, of course. Yeah. The home stretch here. Yeah, it's like the other the other bit I thought was interesting in this uh, journey, unless anyone else remembered like any other details um, mm-hmm. that you wanted to talk about. Um, it's, it's like that she adds this little episode where there was those three people, but then like a little later in the day, a fourth person came in who was there for, she thought like, to be in the hospital for a nervous condition. Yeah, and they just, it's it was her friends that were like, oh yeah, we're sending, she's actually sending you to the insane asylum. Like, yeah, like, God. that's, that's Terrifying. one of the, it's like, uh, stay in the hospital when you see all the strangers, or when you're um, at a police station, like, you just see, catch glimpses of people in you know, one of the major episodes of their lives, like, what's going to be a defining moment for them. Right. And, yeah, like, the, what a heartbreaking slice of this person's Like, who knows, like, why her friends put her in there? And, like, it doesn't feel like, I don't know if we'll see her later. Right? They're all going to right. the same island, so maybe, but... Yeah, I was going to say, at least two of them seem to not be insane other than her, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. And yeah, and like the bit that we get is that she this interaction where she's where she's talking to a doctor, um, he's like, Have you just found out that you're in an insane asylum? Yes, my friend said they were sending me to a convalescent ward to be treated for a nervous debility. I want to get out of this place immediately. Well you won't get out in a hurry, he said with a quick laugh. God, that's so fucked. Yeah. Even if that's what you think, like to add the the laughter, like Clearly, she's right. so dismissive. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, this is like the first, I, like, things are uncomfortable before, but this is like the, the first part that feels like evil or like, like, this is where like, I don't know, this, that felt like really, really dark to me. Yeah, it seemed, it definitely had like a sinister tone. Yeah, so like that happens and then they, uh, but then they get ready for her to leave. Um, they're all waiting by the boat before she goes up into it. Um, she does give <laughs> Mary some pennies. Right. She she does she does find the pennies, which was I guess a lot more money back then. When you think about it in like terms of dollars, it's like okay, I could see why maybe she wanted that. Like it's probably her. Yeah. It's probably gonna get her her beef tea on the way home. You know what I mean? <laughs> a nice nice meal of slush and meat meat water with salt. <laughs> Right. Above rail. And some crushed up bugs, maybe. Yeah, I'll we'll buy her a rock of salt, some tendons, <laughs> and and <laughs> and a tin pot to cook it all in with rainwater. <laughs> oh, that's what if you can get your if you can if you got a rainwater set up, you only have to worry about the the lead that's in whatever in in whatever uh, materials you're probably using. Yeah, did I say tin pot? I meant lead pot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. tin pot in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, yeah, so she's saying goodbye to everyone. I want to throw in that she says goodbye to Miss Scott in Spanish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like she's really, like, she really, she really leans into this aspect of her character. She's a real actress. I guess so. She certainly is. I mean, could you imagine actually trying to do this? Like, actually trying to fake your way into like a like a like a real insane asylum, like the kind that you're not to, meant to get out of, you know? And yeah, and then as an added flourish, just to just to flex, you also decided to make it a bilingual role. Oh right, just because just because somebody suggested it off the cuff. <laughs> like that's a good performer. Right. Right. See, because, you know, when you're improvising, you got to listen to your scene partner. What they're saying, everything they're saying is a gift, and you got to use it. <laughs> right. Cuban, yes. And I'm from the Hacienda. Yeah, so she says goodbye to everyone, and we go from, 
I don't know why she doesn't say anything nice about Miss Scott, but I guess she started out mean. So she is kind of a bitch. Yeah. yeah. No, never mind. Um, but we go from uh, we go from Miss Ball and Miss Scott to to these uh, mean muscular men and two female attendants. These coarse, massive women expectorating tobacco juice on the floor in a manner more skillful than charming. I I think like as just like a turn of phrase, I think that might have been my favorite moment in in this right. stretch. Yeah, like that's a that's a nice little bit of uh, Mark Twain wit right there. Right. Yeah, the tobacco juice is really vivid. I mean, tobacco in that form is never charming. Yeah, that's certainly true. So even true. even the polite thing of carrying around this like a used water bottle it's so gross as fuck i'm sorry <laughs> that's gross it's gross as fuck get, get your spit bottle out of here this is civilized society yeah what's the shit you can swallow use that shit you can swallow oh oh if that's an option then yeah it's an option then what are you doing with that bottle i never would right. but in the way that like, if the king in yellow is there, you might read it. Or if you're at a tall building, you just think, like, I could jump off. Like, if there's a bottle of this, you know, tobacco <laughs> juice, someone, like, you could potentially drink it. Like, in some way. Like, Are you talking about, you know about, like, you know about good news cigarette juice, right? Oh, no. See, on, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I knew it's been done but the, the risk is always there once you introduce that to to a room like anything could happen yeah it's like that swimming pool that mad that magic uh statue liquid <laughs> as as soon as you introduce that element of of uh chaos yeah an entire it's, pool it's gonna happen yeah once you have a pool that you're not supposed to fall into someone could fall into it you have a water bottle of your tobacco spit juice. Maybe not in this room in this moment, but in a room at a moment. And I, I, I'm scared to click on the cigarette juice thing. Like, I, <laughs> But maybe it'll be more palatable. You put some meat cubes in there. Put some bovine ice. A little bit of meat cubes with your cigarette juice. That's all you really need. <laughs> like that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's something to sit on your porch with. Right. Is our thumbnail for this just going to be gross foods? Because that's, <laughs> that's where we're leaning. <laughs> Like as like the only descriptions that we get is bare hallways and nasty food. Oh, and a hot doctor. We get in the hot doctors. Hot doctor. Because we can put nurse Go ratchet in there. So we'll see how things are on Blackwell's Island. Yeah, her this this first half. Oh yeah, ma- this man is so mean to her. Like the little last the last bit of dialogue we get. She asks uh, the man at the boat, What is this place? I asked of the man who had his fingers sunk into the flesh of my arm. Blackwell's Island, an insane place where you'll never get out of. Yeah, sounds about right, honestly. I'm sure she felt really, like, glad it was supposed to be ten days. Yeah, that's even that seems like a long time. Yeah, but anyways, so that's the story of how Nellie Bly snuck her way into a madhouse. Will she get out? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? What will she see on the inside? What horrors await in Blackwell's island? Will she meet another handsome doctor? I I hope so. We all need to meet someone handsome. <laughs> I'm go. Okay, what's our over under on handsome doctor on the inside? I I I don't know what I don't know enough about betting to know what over unders are, but I'll say that um, she's very likely to meet another handsome doctor. I think she's on a streak. Okay, good. I mean, she she met she met three people whose whose um, honor and charity she did have to give credit to in a row. So I, it, to me, it just seems like I, yeah, it seems likely to happen again. Over for sure. I I'll up your bet. Over. Okay, you know I'll I'm I'm with you. I agree with you. I'll just say there won't be a handsome doctor, so that way one of us is right. Oh, right, right. That way we can say the. <laughs> Create some competition. Third option. Now we were guaranteeing that uh, Pleasant Evenings Book Club has a 100% right guess record. Judge Duffy comes back. That's my prediction. Oh. Oh, I would hope. I, I hope they they kiss on the sunset. He shows up at the asylum <laughs> with his sister like, hey, this is my sister. Do you look like her? Like, 
You see how similar <laughs> you guys look? Good. She's also Cuban. Uh, I want to introduce uh, you to my Cuban sister. <laughs> She's dead. She's dead. <laughs> my sister, who is dead. Like, <laughs> and, Cuban. <laughs> and Cuban. I like that those are the... So just... <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so I think that's the, that's the main takeaways for sure. Hot doctors, right. dead Cuban sisters, meat dead cubes. Dead Cuban sisters, hot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. We've got everything, all the important factors. Uh. All right, that um, that's it for Pleasant Evenings Book Club this week. Join us next week for uh, the Madhouse portion of 10 Days in a Madhouse. And we'll see that's how right. this all plays out. Um, uh, this has uh, been uh, Roberto. And Hannah. And Corbin signing off. Um, um, I think I'm we did our sign off. We're done. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're good. Bye. <laughs> All right, okay, let me uh, stop recording.